This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Every garden has something to teach me, truly, about plants, about people, about space and light and place. I recently had the pleasure of visiting the Ruth Bancroft Garden in Walnut Creek, California, the result of one dedicated gardener woman's lifelong curiosity and admiration for cacti and succulents as she gardened in a dry climate. The garden started in the early 1950s as a collection of potted plants. By 1972, the collection had outgrown its location and was moved to its current site, which at the time was an old walnut orchard. After being seen by the founder of the Garden Conservancy, Frank Cabot, in the late 1980s, the Ruth Bancroft Garden became the first in the United States to be preserved by the Garden Conservancy. The garden remains an outstanding example of a dry garden and a lifelong gardener's passion. Today, we're joined by Gretchen Bartson, executive director of the Ruth Bancroft Garden, to hear a little more. Welcome, Gretchen. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. So tell us a little bit first about you and your background and the influences that led to your own love of plants and gardens um, and eventually what brought you to the Ruth Bancroft Garden. Well, I um, am a... Uh, what brought me to gardening was uh, one rubber plant in our home in Minnesota. I grew up in Duluth, Minnesota, and uh, we had a lo- lovely yard with some peonies and lilacs and um, and lots of spruce and, and one mountain ash tree, all of which I loved very much. I really uh, hated winter and loved spring, summer, and fall, and um, so in the winter I would tend the one rubber plant. Uh, faithfully every week, dust it and water it because no one else in the house of all my five siblings and my folks cared about it. And um, uh, just kind of when I had the chance, finally moved to California in my 20s, married a San Franciscan and moved to the West Coast and uh, was surrounded by plants and flowers all year round, Uh, really started to learn the names of what grew there and and, uh, whenever we had enough room to garden would uh, do that. And really enjoyed it. So um, I was a teacher for 20 years and uh, taught English in high school and junior college and then uh, began to do fundraising for the next 20 years as um, I worked for schools and and raised money for them. And uh, after I'd been doing that uh, for a long, long time and had developed lots of friends in in the uh, uh, community, one of my friends who was a master gardener and on the board at the Ruth Bancroft Garden uh, kept telling me about the garden and how much they needed a fundraiser and how Ruth was getting older and they needed somebody on the board who could really help the garden continue. Um, I uh, had an opening in my uh, volunteer life, and uh, so I joined the board in 2006 and um, stayed on as a board member for six years. And uh, during that time, Ruth had already uh, retired from the garden and uh, her funds were running out. She was outgrowing her her uh, fortune. And so in 2011, she had to stop her donations to the garden, and um, the garden uh, really uh, had to step up their fundraising operation. So I stepped up my energies as well. 
and along about that time decided to retire from my job where I had been 17 years raising money for schools and leave it to a younger development director. And uh, I uh, offered to take over the executive directorship as a partner with one of the other board members who was also retired and uh, really uh, very involved in the garden. She was much more of a gardener and uh, knowledgeable in California plants and uh, drought tolerance than I, which I knew I needed to have somebody who was really uh, well-schooled in that, in horticulture. Mm -hmm. So I took on the fundraising and public relations, and she took on more of the direction of the management of the green part of the garden. And uh, we've been doing that for the last four years together as volunteers and helping the garden get into a financial position where we can hire an executive director next year and um, have kept the, kind of helped the garden really uh, come along. Uh, and Ruth has been able to enjoy it from the sidelines, and it's been a wonderful experience. That seems like a wonderful partnership all the way around. When I came to visit uh, at the event, the launch of the new book, which we'll get to in a little bit, Ruth was there, and it was, I think, a Tuesday, and she was turning 108 on Friday. Describe for us Ruth Bancroft as you know her as a woman and a gardener. Ruth Bancroft as a woman and a gardener, of course, is one of the most impressive people that you would ever meet. She is still vibrant and beautiful at 108. Not that I've seen a lot of 108-year-olds, but I've seen some centenarians in my life, and uh, you see more of them these days, and she is really amazing. She uh, still reads gardening books. Her only She has uh, very bad arthritis and very hard of hearing, but those are her two major ailments. And so she takes a little medication for her arthritis, and it makes her a little sleepy. And her only complaint is that she gets too sleepy to read all that she wants to read. And uh, so she listens to opera, and she reads gardening books and and uh, enjoys pictures of the garden and friends that come to visit quite a little and uh, coming out into the garden in her wheelchair as often as she can. Uh, and I have found over the four years that I've been helping to run her garden that so many gardeners and community members she has touched in her life who in their development as gardeners consulted with Ruth, uh, learned from her, and she always had time to drop her her weeding tools and her planting tools and chat about flowers. It was her passion all her life. She worked every day in the garden until her late 90s, uh, seven days a week, and she just never tired of it. She it was her place where she felt most relaxed and most creative and, and you know, most alive. And she communicates that with people and, and others like that just are so in, were and are so inspired by her. Everyone that, that comes to visit the garden, it tells us that their major reason for coming was because they'd heard about Ruth. They'd noticed that all those plants reaching out over the wall and wondered what was inside and how it came to be and they are universally impressed and inspired and really gladdened by what you know what they see that she's that she's created and uh, we have some beautiful pictures of her around the office and uh, they always ask after her and it's just it's a wonderful 
it's a wonderful privilege to see that happening and to work every day in a place where uh, so much inspiration is present. It's really great. For listeners who haven't been there, describe the garden and its original concept and the layout that you see now when you walk through. Give us a visual description, Gretchen. Well, it's an oblong, three acres, roughly three acres, and Ruth had Lester Hawkins. She consulted with Lester Hawkins when, in 1972 when Philip, her husband, gave her the acreage to use for her plants. And so uh, Lester Hawkins, who was the founder of the Western Hills Nursery in Sonoma and a pretty renowned landscape architect in the San Francisco Bay Area, they were friends, obviously. And so he came and helped lay out the path, which she wanted to be wandering and uh she wanted something that she could make. In, well, it turns out that she could make into a kind of a wonderland. Mm-hmm. So there are no direct paths in the garden. They they wander. There is a rough cir- circumference, which rough clockwise, you know, counterclockwise, but lots of paths. And she laid out. Uh, he put a, added a little pond area, and a couple and a couple of major beds towards the center of the garden. And then she picked out all the plants to uh, line the pathways. And she was very particular about not having anything to delineate the paths from the bed. So mm-hmm. there are no borders, per se, no edging. Uh, it just yeah. Goes, yeah. So she, she wanted your eye to be able to be drawn naturally to the planting beds. And she wanted to create the plantings as if you were be, would be out in nature. They wouldn't be looked. They would not look too forced or too too well too designed, too artificial. And so she had a rule where she tried to keep the plants looking as much as they would in their habitat. So the palm trees that she planted are not regularly trimmed. The skirting just falls naturally, as you would see if you were in the tropics. And um, she loved to have the natural habitat uh, supports the animal habitat. So she wanted as many critters around as she could possibly have. She enjoyed listening to them and having them work alongside her when she would be working in the garden. Uh, so I've, as you look at the garden beds, I note from we have a wonderful horticultural committee that has trying to put into words what the charism, or I guess you would say the design principles are of Ruth's garden. Mm-hmm. Ruth's garden. And one of them is that she, you can see as you stand in looking in one bed, there's, she created a space between the plantings so that you can not only see what the bed is in front of you, but you can see two or three beds beyond. So there's a sense of depth almost mm-hmm. every direction that you look, mm-hmm. even though you're not necessarily in the center of the garden. And it's, it creates a kind of a magical effect. And she didn't believe in putting one type of plant all in one bed and another type of plant in another bed, as you would see in a more formal botanical garden. She liked to experiment. It was one of her major principles is experimentation, is see what would grow, what would thrive where, with what kind of other plants, and create combinations and forms that were refreshing and, and new and rather daring. And so there's lots of surprises in the garden, new new combinations and new plants that you wouldn't notice. 
She liked to travel by catalog and <laughs> travel all over the world. She wasn't a great real physical traveler, but she loved her. She had a great imagination. I hadn't noticed that about the edging, but now that you say it, it really does help you feel in the garden, not separate from the garden, yeah. but in the garden. And yeah. I think one of the amazing things for a visitor now is the fact that when she first started planting it, she also, I understand, had a, a rule of small plants. So what you see now is maturity after this many years, you know, 10 yeah. years, 20 yeah. years, 30 years, depending on which plant you're looking at. And so she had such vision for what would come around and how it would mature in place. And I'm sure she's had a lot of surprises along the way. Um, it is a cacti and succulent garden. So I, for, for visitors, again, who haven't been there, there's no lawn. There are very few leafy plants um, in the traditional kind of herbaceous perennial sense. Um, describe the effect overall for, for you, Gretchen, working there every day and seeing this shifting palette of, of forms and the way they catch light. I, the way that it affects me every day is, uh, it is like, almost like visiting another planet in a way. And I've heard people say that who come to visit the garden, they'll come up alongside, for instance, the large, she has a bed with many huge agaves in it, agave franzesinis, they're giant. And one woman said to her husband one day, well, here we are on Mars <laughs> or, or the moon. And the other day I was looking off the porch of the little office building that we have, the office trailers over the garden, and I noticed an agave blooming way high up that I hadn't seen mm. um, was, was blooming. And it brought me back to the jungles of Kenya, uh, south of Africa, where I had been in, in at Kruger Park one morning, my very first time visiting and the fog was lining the the savannah that wasn't savannah it's a studded high studded area as of trees and sticking over the fog were the giraffe heads hmm. looking around and i and i felt like that i felt like you know this agave was peeking out over over the canopy of all the other plants which which those agave stalks can do so it's almost like they're animals in a way uh, and um People that visit there are taken back. They almost dwarf the people in some ways, some of the trees and some of the plants. And uh, it, it's a great feeling to feel that nature enfolding you in a way. Uh, yes. And then, of course, the different blooms uh, all different times of the year. So you go walking by and all of a sudden there's a bloom that wasn't there yesterday. And that's exciting. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're speaking with Gretchen Bartson, Executive Director of the Ruth Bancroft Garden, a remarkable cacti and succulent garden in Walnut Creek, California. The garden and the gardening life of Ruth Bancroft, who recently turned 108, has a lot to teach any gardener about tenacity, lifelong learning, and joy. We'll be back after a break. Stay with us. 
Welcome back. Before the break, we began our conversation with Gretchen Bartson, Executive Director of the Ruth Bancroft Garden, a cacti and succulent garden in Walnut Creek, California. In 1989, the garden became the first garden in the U.S. to be preserved by the Garden Conservancy. A book in celebration of the garden entitled The Bold Dry Garden has recently been published. We're back to hear more. So the garden became part of the Garden Conservancy. And clearly, as we've already discussed, Ruth is such a force. One of the Garden Conservancy's principles in taking a garden on is that it has to be able to transition into being a public garden and into being carried on by others, but in the spirit of the founder. Exactly. Tell us about the gardeners who are there that are taking it forward and, and what what being a garden conservancy garden means on an everyday basis for, for you and the staff. We, uh, what, what the, being a part of the garden conservancy means for the Ruth Bancroft Garden and I'm, I'm a, on all the other gardens, I think there's over 60 now that the garden conservancy has helped save and bring along to public garden uh, life is we have a wonderful curator, uh, Brian Kemble, mm. who began working for Ruth in the early 80s. I think he started working for her in 1980, so just about eight years after she had begun the garden. And so Brian worked alongside Ruth for over 30 years mm. and um, were with her for the last 25, you know, first worked with her for 25 years, and then the last five to eight years he's been consulting with her keeping her abreast, but so he understood how she worked, what she liked, and the Garden Conservancy uh, principle is that you maintain the collection and develop the collection and uh, make sure that it's available for public enjoyment and education. So that's our mission, and we take it very seriously, and uh, when Ruth retired in 1998, 1997, 98. Um, it, it was a, probably four or five years down the road. We had an executive director at the time who had been, Becky Rice was her name, who had been working uh, as the executive director. Uh, she took over, I think, in 2002 or so. And um, 2000, she, she, yeah, 2000. And she uh, reached out to the board uh, along about 2006 when I joined the board to say we think the garden uh, needs a horticultural committee that needs guidance from the Garden Conservancy to make sure that we're keeping the garden up to the standards that Ruth had because that they had seen the garden um, start to uh, lose some of its uh, beauty and robustness mm. without Ruth at the helm. Mm. And so uh, the Garden Conservancy appointed one of their preservation chairs, uh, his name was Bill Noble, to help us on this committee, which the board would like to form, and we and we invited some other um, master gardener types through to join. And that committee has continued, uh, has begun to advise and visit the garden at least once a season or twice a year now to make sure that we're attending to the areas and they do what they call an audit of the garden mm. and um, and take pictures and try and uh, preserve the design that Ruth had set up and to make sure that where we are changing the design, we're changing it in spirit, as you, as you put so well, of Ruth. 
And so they help us monitor um, the uh, the garden beds and the whole aesthetic of the garden to make sure we're staying in that vein. And I think they're doing a wonderful job, the Horticultural Committee. They take notes. They consult with our two gardeners. We have two curators and a horticultural garden gardener so that we have a team of three uh, serious horticulturalists on our staff and one um, wonderful gardener who has worked along, uh, his name is Martin Zeros, and he's worked for Ruth also for over 30 years, so he knew exactly how she liked it. He actually helped still tend the gardens around Ruth's home. She has beautiful traditional gardens surrounding her home still next to our garden. And so that team uh, st- so has two members who worked along with Rose. With, along, along with Ruth, and they all work together and meet to weekly to make sure that our priorities are uh, preserving and developing in her spirit. And they, she's still available even to look on and to see what they've done. And on her visits to the garden, they ask her opinion, and she'll nod uh, and smile, or she may give us a look askance, and then we'll re-examine what we've done <laughs> and, and think Perhaps maybe we'll tweak something here or there to, uh, or explain to her. Lots of times her objection is that we've been too extravagant. Oh. She was very thrifty, and she would, as you noted, only buy plants in one-gallon pots or less. And uh, because she was trying to, you know, she had a voracious collective collection appetite. Yes. So she had to watch her budget. And um, so, so she was very thrifty in, in order to get as much as she could. So sometimes when we'll buy a large specimen of a cacti that she knows is pricey, she'll she'll be so shocked. Brian says it kind of makes him giggle. But, um, well, and the yeah. new book, uh, there's a new book out about the garden, and it's right. It's definitely a celebration of both Ruth and the garden itself, and it it captures, I think, her personality. It is entitled mm-hmm. "The Bold Dry Garden," and it the narrative is written by Joanna Silver, who is the garden editor for Sunset Magazine, and it is just gorgeously photographed by Marion Brenner. And um, I'm, I'm guessing that this both um, kind of preserves the history of the garden beautifully and also is in support of the mission of moving it to its next level of being a full-fledged public garden without the very active participation of Ruth any longer and being financially stable on its own feet. The Timber Press approached us for this uh, to write this book uh, with them, helped help produce this book about two years ago. So it's been a two-year project. And uh, there, Andrew Beckman and his associate, Jerry Sonker, were both very enthusiastic about feeling like this was the time to really highlight the pioneer in dry gardening that Ruth was, it was her time to introduce her to the world, and we totally agreed and and uh, saw this as a marvelous opportunity to spread Ruth's gospel, I guess you could say, of planting and experimentation and adaptation and artistry to the world. It's been a wonderful process, and Joanna uh, is a sparkly, wonderful writer and uh, totally brought her enthusiasm to the page, I think, and and it's infectious. 
The subtitle of the book is Lessons from the Ruth Bancroft Garden. If you were to summarize uh, for us, and you've mentioned experimentation and adaptation and frugality and conservation, Mm -hmm. uh, what, Mm -hmm. what would be among the other lessons that you personally would like to see people take from from the garden and and from its um, yeah its its beauty and endurance well I think one of the most important lessons from the garden is is that it is such a healthy and enjoyable pastime to be a gardener and it really is proven now by science. We read more about it every year that people who live under trees, near trees, in gardens, around gardens, live longer. And I do believe it. And I think they live more full, happy, and productive lives. I, we're seeing a huge surge of people come to volunteer at the garden who are, like myself, baby boomers who've retired in their 60s and want another career. It's much more fulfilling than buying things. It's more satisfying and it's more relaxing. I remember Joanna telling me, a reading in the draft of the book, that she was really trying to get to what drove Ruth. What was it that drove her to create this, compelled her to create this garden? She had many setbacks and she was constantly having to replant and um, fight odds of nature. And Ruth's answer was that this, is, this was the place where I could be the most relaxed and where I was in charge and in control. And she grew up, of course, in a world where men dominated, and she was the wife of a very strong uh, man in a very strong man's world, and this was her kingdom. And the plants were her way to express herself as the architect she never could become because the depression came and she couldn't get a job as an architect. And so I think that that is the lesson that really pulls people to the garden and keeps them in the garden is that it is such a healthy, wonderful, expressive form of life to be a gardener and to be this kind of gardener with these bold, wonderful plants that are a challenge but also give give and give. They are very hardy. They fight the insects. They fight the weather, just like us Westerners have to do in this drought. And uh, it's, it's a very positive, fulfilling type of daily life. It is a, a generous garden from a, a very generous gardener. And it is a pleasure to talk with you about it, Gretchen. So thank you very oh, much for joining you. us today. Thank you, Jennifer. It was a pleasure. Gretchen Bartson is the executive director of the Ruth Bancroft Garden in Walnut Creek, California. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is produced by Sarah Bohannon. For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos of the garden, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram or Facebook. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. 
I'm Jennifer Jewell.